Welcome to this clinical law briefing. My name is Robert Wheeler. I work in Southampton as a children's surgeon and clinical lawyer and hope this podcast concerning a legal aspect of clinical life will interest you. This note concerns termination of pregnancy. AB is 24. Born in Nigeria, she was adopted at birth by CD, though lived in Nigeria for many years whilst her adopted mother worked in London as a midwife. When she was 12, AB moved to London and it became apparent that she had significant developmental delay, an IQ in the range of 35 to 49. In association with this, She has profound behavioural difficulties, her mood managed by medication. Established in London, she lived largely with her grandmother, although CD lived with them for substantial periods. In May 2017, her grandmother died, causing AB great loss and distress. Henceforth, she has lived with her mother. During a prolonged leave in Nigeria, AB fell pregnant, diagnosed by her mother at around 11 weeks gestation, in mid-April 2019. It was inevitably concluded that AB lacked capacity to decide whether to continue with the pregnancy, and the trust that looked after her mooted the idea of termination. CD was wholly opposed to termination, both on religious and cultural grounds. A Roman Catholic, she observed that in Nigeria, terminating a pregnancy was, in her words, simply unheard of. Four weeks later, C.D. took her daughter to the hospital with all her possessions packed in three suitcases and two rucksacks, telling the hospital she was handing over care of her daughter. She felt she could not support A.B. in having a termination. Subsequently, A.B. has lived in residential care. The Trust made an application to the High Court at 18 weeks gestation, seeking a declaration that in the circumstances termination was lawful, consistent with the Abortion Act 1967. The Trust concluded that termination was in AB's best interests and the hearing commenced when AB is in her 23rd week. The official solicitor represented AB and supported her mother in opposing an order that would result in termination. Whilst the local authority was neutral, AB's social worker, who knew her well, also opposed termination the judge recorded C.D.'s view that her daughter would be very upset by having a termination, but never did the judge thereafter weigh this in the balance when considering A.B.'s best interests. Equally, the judge gave no weight to the evidence of the social worker who had known A.B. for two years and who had told the court that it would be in her interest to have the baby. This contrasted with the medical evidence that after full-term delivery, AB might suffer psychosis, although acknowledged that quantification of such an illness was unknowable. The court was told that AB's termination of pregnancy would be a two-stage surgical procedure over two days, performed under general anaesthetic. AB would be told that they were taking the baby away and, to minimise the potential impact of not having a baby girl to take home with her, AB can be given a new baby doll soon after the procedure to keep with her. The judge concluded, this are her words, that the trauma or upset of having a termination would pose a lesser impact than having a baby. And accordingly, 
she made the declaration that termination was lawful. The official solicitor appealed this decision, and three days later the case was heard in the Court of Appeal. Their judgment was handed down on 11th July, by which time the termination had not and would not take place. Given that, in AB's circumstances, termination could not be made lawful by the Abortion Act, since the pregnancy was now in its 25th week. Upholding the appeal, the court found that in her conclusions the High Court judge made no mention of AB's wishes or feelings, or of the views of CD, or of the social worker, or the official solicitor. Further, that the court is required to consider AB's both wishes and feelings. The judge placed emphasis on the fact that AB's wishes were not clear and were not clearly expressed. She was entitled to do that, but the fact remains that AB's feelings were, as for any person, learning disabled or not, uniquely her own, and are not open to the same critique based upon cognitive or expressive ability. AB's feelings were important and should have been factored into the balancing exercise alongside the consideration of her wishes. The point was made that her mother and social worker knew AB better than any of the assessing psychiatrists instructed in the case. Their opposing evidence was not weighed against that of the doctors. The Mental Capacity Act is founded in part on the basis that those who make decisions on behalf of people who lack capacity must respect and make the most of that person's autonomy and individuality. Even when a patient lacks capacity, her wishes and feelings not only must be considered, they can be in some circumstances determinative. It is to safeguard this principle that the Act provides that a person is not to be treated as unable to make a decision merely because he makes an unwise decision. I hope this was useful, but if you would prefer to read rather than to listen to me, by all means look at the Clinical Law website on the UHS webpage, or type Clinical Law into a search engine.